Heavenly Father, we thank you for these passages from prophets. We ask that as we think about them, as we listen to the words about them, we will hear your word to us today and know what action you might want us to take. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Can you go back somewhat? That's brilliant. One forward, thank you. (laughs) So, preparation, preparation, preparation. How are your Christmas preparations going? I suppose now that we have actually arrived in December, I will have to begin to talk about it and do some preparation myself. And I must confess, I did this year manage to make my Christmas cake at the beginning of November. One of the benefits of being off for a while, I guess. And we have bought a number of Christmas gifts already and we're beginning to think about the things we might like to eat when we have visitors and whether we send as many Christmas cards or not. All those sorts of things. Maybe you're way ahead of us and have got all yours done. But we are in Advent. (laughs) And as we know, Advent is a time of expectation, of waiting and of preparation. And not just for the celebration of the nativity of Christ at Christmas, but also for the return of Christ when he comes a second time. And there's so much in these two passages we've had today. I could have written several different sermons. So are you sitting comfortably? (laughs) Um, Well, I have chosen just a couple of things to pick out. But there is so much. I mean, we could ask the question, why does Luke talk about all those specific people placing the time when John comes in a particular point in history. I mean, it'd be hard to miss it, wouldn't it, from all those descriptions? Never mind whether or not you can pronounce the names. Um, And then why does uh, Malachi talk about slag heaps? And and why, in terms of metal, and and why, why is it all about forgiveness? Well, let's have a look and see what we can see in them. Just for a minute, let's think back to last Sunday. There was a call, Margaret gave us a call, didn't she, to be ready by being alert and watching out for the signs of God at work. Well, this week, there is an emphasis on not just the signs, but on the practical actions that perhaps we need to take following the recommendations of just two of the prophets, although there's many more we could have looked at. Preparation, preparation, preparation. So the first prophet we are looking at today is Malachi. I wonder what you know about him. Well, he was prophesying around the same time as Haggai and Zechariah after the exile and around 430 BC. So quite a long time ago, really. His book is very easy to find. It's the last one in the Old Testament. But what does it say? I don't know whether you've ever read it from, cover, from beginning to end. It's not a very long book and it makes quite easy reading, but it's not a very pretty picture. Malachi is reminding the Jews, God's chosen people, remember, of just how unfaithful to God they are being. In chapter one and on into chapter two, he particularly focuses on the priests, which is a bit scary the religious leaders of the time. But then he goes on, actually, to include all the people. He tells them that they've shown only contempt for God. 
They've offered defiled sacrifices. They've led other people into sin. They've kept their tithes and their offerings for themselves, not given them to his work. They've become arrogant and a whole host more things besides. So as we read this book, we see this horrible picture of the people's unfaithfulness that clearly requires some kind of dealing with, punishment maybe. God is really fed up with their sinful lifestyles, particularly the priests, and he is going to do something about it. He's going to bring a day of judgment. But you know, also woven through Malachi's writing, there is a real message of hope because he continually talks about the possibility of forgiveness simply and only because of God's love for his people. doesn't matter how sinful they've been in their everyday life. God still loves them. And in chapter 3, Malachi shares that God is going to send two messengers to the people, messengers whom they need to listen to as they try to get God's message across, that message of the need for repentance for sin, followed by, and this is the action bit, a change of lifestyle to become more just, more compassionate, more loving and caring. In fact, more like God himself. I wonder how Malachi would write to us today. Is he a prophet for our time? I guess like me, you can think of a myriad of things that are just not as God would want in our society, in the world, and maybe in yours and my lives too. And in our reading, he talked about refining fire and laundry soap. Not things that we would perhaps naturally focus on, But let's look just a little more closely. Why does he use those two things? Whilst we were off, Andrew and I paid a visit to the Black Country Living Museum. It is 20 or so years since we've been there, so it was really interesting to just look and see how it has developed in that time. And there are two things that I particularly recall. One of them was standing outside the blacksmith's forge as he was making nails, watching the heat of the fire listening to the hammering as he shaped the metal and looking at the little heaps of slag where he had clearly been refining some metal earlier. I don't know how much you know about refining metal. um, When I first went to work, I worked at IMI in Witten and um, most of its work was all to do with refining metal, so I got to learn quite a lot about it. It requires the raw metal ore to be heated so hot that it melts. And that's hot, believe you me. Then the impurities will separate and they will rise to the surface of the liquid. And then they can be skimmed off, leaving the pure metal behind. And as it cools, then it becomes whatever it is you're wanting it to be, whatever sort of metal it is. And at that moment, as it's clear, as it's pure liquid, you can see the reflection of the metal worker in the surface of it. It's like a mirror. Absolutely no imperfection in that mirror either. As we are purified by God, when we come to him in repentance, saying sorry for all the rubbish behaviour, all the stuff in our lives, then his reflection in us can become clearer for others to see too. But I said, didn't I, that to do that, the metal had to be heated really hot. That process of refining 
in us, the metaphorical heating and melting and skimming off the bad stuff, can be really tough as we learn to change and become more like the people God has always wanted us to be. And then the laundry soap. Well, back in Malachi's time, laundry soap was very alkaline. I knew I wasn't going to say that right. Alkaline. It was used to whiten cloth, to bleach it. And they would have used large stones and boulders to pound the cloth with the rough caustic soap. Can't imagine what it must have done to their hands. They didn't have marigolds back in those days. And they used things like this. And even 1,940 years later, using the tools like these that we saw in the museum, the dolly tub and the mangle. Anybody use those? I remember my grandmother having them. Um, yeah. Not a very gentle process washing then, was it? In fact, it's amazing the clothes survived, I think. <laughs> but this is another picture of a refining process that Malachi talks about. In this case, bleaching. He says the Jewish people need to go through this. They need to be cleansed completely, made, refined and pure in order to be back in relationship with God. I wonder if you and I are open to such processes in our lives, recognising that they won't be one-offs and they will probably be quite painful in some fashion or another. But if we could be, if we could be open to that enduring, refining process, it would help to bring us back into relationship with God. Preparation. 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 Malachi is trying to prepare the people for the life that they need to live. And he tells them that God will also be preparing because he's going to send messengers. I will send my messenger who will prepare the way before me. Then suddenly the Lord you are seeking will come to his temple. The messenger of the covenant whom you desire will come, says the Lord Almighty. So we know who these two messengers are because we stand with hindsight. But who was that first messenger? Well, Luke is the one who tells us about that. So he goes on too with more preparation, preparation, preparation. Luke, like Malachi, wants his readers to be prepared properly and carefully as they wait for the Christ to come back. Remember, he's writing his story down after it's already happened. So he's writing it with the knowledge of what has gone before. And he's not writing to Jews who would have known all the prophecies about the Messiah. That was Matthew's task. No, Luke is writing for a non-Jewish audience, a very different set of people. But people, nevertheless, Luke thinks, should he, try, he should try to help meet with Jesus. And that's why he does quote from the prophet Isaiah, because he wants to make a very particular point. He's showing everyone that no matter who they were, Jesus wants to get to know them. Doesn't matter what nationality, what social status, what political affiliations. Verse 6, it said, all people will see God's salvation. And of course, Luke is very clear that God uses his people and others to help all people get to know that. 
And he goes on to talk about a particular wild and woolly man with no power, no status, not even decent clothes, who was stirring up the people, talking about repentance and forgiveness. Exactly the same message that Malachi had said 400 or so years before. So, did you watch Top Gear last Sunday? Some people did, some people didn't. I recognise it's not everybody's taste of a programme, and it's not something that I watch very often, but I was reminded of it as I began thinking about the Gospel passage that we have today. You're probably wondering, how on earth did you think about that? I'll explain. The episode was filmed in July, or part, a big part of it, and one of the presenters, Freddie Flintoff, the one-time cricketer, was isolating due to COVID. So the other two, Paddy McGuinness and Chris Harris, were sent off to Iceland together on an expedition. Now, if, Paddy had, if Freddie had gone, he was going to take a very different car, but I'll explain in a minute. The two had to choose a car to take. One you would think they would choose would be something that was going to be really suitable for the rugged terrain. Iceland is a volcanic island. It's, you know, hilly, rough, etc., etc. Now, for me, the programme was great, just looking at the scenery and the views of the landscape. But for Paddy and Chris, it was a test of endurance, patience and sometimes terror. They chose very different cars to drive. McGuinness chose a Rolls-Royce Silver Shadow. Who would like to be in one of them? And Harris chose a Vauxhall Chevette. Both cars from the 1980s, you may remember them. The roads they were travelling on, as I say, were not nice flat tarmac roads. They were rough tracks, even riverbeds and deep fords. Now, I'm sure you will know that a Silver Shadow has very good suspension. It has amazingly padded leather seats, really thick, you know, like this. It coped really well, for the point of view of the driver, I think, with all the potholes, the lumps and the bumps. In fact, actually better than I was expecting it to. Um, especially when it was crossing the fords. I kind of thought, oh, it's not going to do very well across the fords, but it did. The Chevette, on the other hand, as you can see from this picture, was a rally car, built for speed, not comfort. It had much harder suspension and a very much less than padded seat. Suffice to say, Chris Harris had a very rough ride. Why am I telling you this? Well, because if Paddy and Chris had been emperors like Tiberius Caesar or governors or tetrarchs like Pilate and Herod Antipas, Philip and Lysanias, the story would have been very different. Because when such a person as them was going to take a trip, messengers would be sent ahead, telling everyone in the route that he was planning to visit and they needed to prepare the roads for him. Verse 4, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. Every valley shall be filled in, Every mountain and hill made low, the crooked road shall become straight, the rough ways smooth. Hmm. I'm sure that if Paddy and Chris had had that kind of preparation for their visit to Iceland, it would have been great for them. Perhaps not such great television viewing today, to be fair, for us as we would witness the ways in which the two cars dealt with the rough winding and stony roads as well as the riverbeds. So why does Luke make this quotation from Isaiah 40 in relation to John the Baptist? Preparation? Preparation? 
Preparation. Malachi saw the return of the Lord to his temple as something for the future. In verse 1, I read before, suddenly the Lord you are seeking will come to his temple. When this happened, Malachi knew that the whole created order would, in effect, be rolling out the red carpet. Valleys would be filled in, mountains would be flattened. God would return in splendour to Jerusalem, as Tom Wright suggests. But as Luke writes, he has the audacity to suggest that this prophecy has been fulfilled in Jesus and that John the Baptist was the messenger preparing the ground, just like the messengers who asked for the roads to be sorted for royal visitors. Jesus was the coming king, the embodiment of the returning God straight into the world of Tiberius Caesar and Herod Antipas. Now, Tiberius thought of himself as the son of the divine Augustus Caesar. He equated himself as a god, as Augustus had done. But what does John the Baptist say? He declares that the Lord is the son of one God, the fulfilment of Malachi's prophecy, the one who would sort out the mess of the world. And that one is Jesus. But did it look like it was sorted? Maybe not. In reality, the priesthood remained corrupt. We only have to read the rest of the gospel and the stories that follow in Paul's writing to know that. Tiberius and Herod still ruled, and very badly. And the temple did not appear to have been filled with the glory of the Lord's presence again, as it was in Solomon's day. And there were still hills and mountains to climb, and valleys to wander through. Preparation, preparation, preparation. What does all this say to us today? Well, I think it is the word that I have repeated throughout the sermon that is key for all of us. Are we prepared for when the Lord will return? Do we even live as if that's a conscious kind of a thing? You know, 2,000 years later from when Jesus was on the earth and everybody kind of assumed, and and as you read the scripture, it, it feels this way, that he would return in their lifetimes, in Peter's lifetime, in Paul's lifetime. 2,000 years on, have we become maybe a bit complacent? He's not going to come back while I'm alive, is he? We used to joke in our house with my mum, who was always kind of last minute at doing things or wanting to finish something before she did something else. My dad used to tease her and say, do you know if the Lord comes today, what will you say? Just a minute, I need to finish the washing up. I wonder what your metaphorical washing up would be. I know what my things would be. I know that I don't necessarily live kind of quite the prepared life that maybe I should. I know that I let things get in the way. I know that I need to go again through that refining, purification kind of process, that bleaching, 
getting ready for that day when God will say to me, so Sue, what have you done? What have you been? By following Jesus as best as we can, by accepting him as our Lord and Saviour, clearing aside the baggage and the rubbish of the past, the doubts of the present, I have them, I'm sure you (coughs) probably do too, doing all of that in order to let Jesus be king of our lives, because he will be if we ask him to. And then being those who will point others to him for their salvation, all people will see the salvation of God. Are you up for that? It's a big ask, but it's the ask of the refiner's fire and the laundry soap. It's the ask of the Lord who loves us and cares for us. It's the ask of the Lord who died on the cross for us so that we might be in relationship with God again. And to help us, the Holy Spirit, who encourages us to do all that forgiveness stuff of others, to bring the things we need forgiveness for to God, to clear aside that baggage, as I said, and that rubbish. I focus this sermon today very much on what we have to do in preparation for the day of judgment, the second time Christ will come. I want to ask you, as I'm asking myself, will I make that my Advent preparation? Will you make that your Advent preparation this year? Maybe even now, today. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, you know the thoughts of all our hearts and minds. You know the love we have for you and you know the things we need to give to you for your forgiveness and for your glory. We pray that in this Advent you would help us to do just that. And we thank you for the gift of the Holy Spirit to help us. And as we gather with bread and wine now, we pray for your peace for each one of us. In Jesus' name. Amen.